0: This summer we have been going through a series on the parables and uh, the parable that we have this morning is one I think that is common, known, but not preached on very often. As I think of, of this story that we'll go through and hopefully be able to pull out some teachings that will impact us, it's not the easiest parable to go through. And it's not because of the content. It's because where our culture is at. I don't know how many of you have been raised in evangelical churches, but I remember it used to be very common to hear messages on hell. It's not so common anymore. I remember as a young believer that we had um, a film called The Burning Hell, and it pictured or tried to picture what hell would be like. I remember the evening because we had prayed for several weeks about this film. After the film was over, we had scores of people that came forward wanting to know how to be saved because it was that real to them. Historically, they have the old sinners in the hands of an angry God where people held on to things around them because hell became so real. And yet, as we look at the culture of our day, that's a very difficult theme to bring out because it's not popular with our culture. It seems to go against anything that we would think about God. And so this morning, I've been given the parable. Now, some people say it's not a parable, and I agree. I think it's a story. It could be a parable, but I lean in the direction of the story. And um, as I, I think about this, I am happy that those that selected the themes, I know there's a gentleman that came up to me this morning said, I'm glad you're going through the parables. And, uh, and he said they make so much more sense. And um, so they selected this parable and uh, they decided to give it to the elder statesman that sits on a chair. <laughs> <laughs> Just a short thought on that. This is the story of the true elder statesman. It's not my story. And, And I just want to remind us of several things here. One is all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. This text this morning is profitable for us to study and learn and be warned it's important to go through. Just one other thing before we start, because last, last spring, I, we covered this subject on a Sunday night, which was a difficult Sunday night for me, but I had showed a clip of the Pope dealing with a young boy who had just lost his father. That's a moving scene. It comes out in the clip that Actually, the the father was an atheist. And so the young boy wanted to know, where is my father? The pope graciously, compassionately, with natural reasoning, tried to console the young boy with these thoughts. And you can watch the clip on YouTube and look it up, but in essence, he said, we have a heavenly father. Do you think that a heavenly father would ever deny a father of four boys to enter the kingdom? And in essence, I think not. There is something that thunders far louder than human reasoning. It's this book right here. And I know, I've dealt with people, in fact, the whole idea of... Judgment from God after life is over is not popular, and they people can come at you with all sorts of human reasoning to tell you this can't be real. Whether I can defend or argue with human reasoning is not the point, it's what do you find in this book. That's the point. Whether we can totally defend things is not the point. Jesus is the one that told this story. It's not my story. It's his story. We can learn from him, and we need to. And believe me, when he shares this story, it's with great compassion that he shares this story. God is not a God that loves judgment. He sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. The Gospel of John says that. And yet we can't ignore this story, this parable. Now, just one other thing as we start. Remember, there are a lot of erroneous thoughts that were going on in the world of Jesus when this story was shared. One was, the Jewish mindset. said said that almost all Jewish men and families would go to heaven just because they were sons of Abraham. You know, it's not too far different than the United States, isn't it? We're a Christian nation. Almost everybody in our country is going to heaven, aren't they? Not too different, is it? The other thought that was erroneous is the Jewish people thought that if a person experienced material benefits, that God's hand of blessing was on them. And so with those things in mind, Jesus wants to tell a story that would correct those wrong thinkings. Now quickly, the historical setting of this parable took place in the Perea ministry, which was right at the end of when Jesus was bringing his ministry to a close. Now great crowds accompanied him. They traveled on the east side of the Jordan called Perea. They were making their way to Jerusalem for Jesus' final days in Jerusalem. That's when this parable takes place. The setting. I just want to give the settings because sometimes when you read this story, you think, well, people that don't have anything make it to heaven, and people that are rich don't make it to heaven. That would be the wrong assumption to make. Because you have to keep in mind Jesus' continual teaching while he ministered. One was a change of heart is necessary to enter God's kingdom. Understand that all of us are sinners. We're rebels against God. Our hearts have to be changed. And I would say this. Do you know that a person with a rebel heart would never enjoy the God of heaven? Because his heart would never be attuned to God. That's why Jesus was teaching the new birth was necessary. So Jesus said in John 3, unless one is born again, the person cannot enter the kingdom. That's pretty clear, isn't it? You have to experience the new birth. And even if you're here, new, listening, I want you to already be thinking, have I experienced a new birth? Has my life been changed? Jesus put it in a different way. Unless one is converted, the person cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It's so clear. There needs to be a heart change. If you want to dwell in the kingdom of heaven, your heart has to be changed first. Otherwise, you wouldn't even enjoy the kingdom. You wouldn't enjoy the God of the kingdom or Jesus himself. In another statement, even in Luke, unless one repents, the person's going to perish. We have to repent. All of these statements went against the Pharisaical teaching of Jesus' day because Jesus, they said, well, no, we're headed in. And so Jesus continually taught. Now the historical setting of this parable, if you look at Luke 15, just prior to Luke 16, you have these parables that are shared. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, and the dishonest manager. All of them, interesting enough, deal with economic resources. They all touch on that theme. You say, well, why is that? Why are they all leading up to this story that Jesus wants to teach? Watch. Here's a statement just several verses prior to the story that we're going to look at. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard these things. Heard what? Heard the parables that Jesus was teaching. For instance, and notice what it says, and they ridiculed him. For for instance, in the parable of the lost son, the story of two sons, one Immoral goes off and, and wastes his living, comes back and repents. And the other one who stays at home, does everything that God asks, is a moral man. And at the end of the story, the moral man is lost. And the immoral man is saved. And the Pharisees, Tim Keller is right, were thunderstruck. Not because the story was so compassionate, because they so disagreed with what Jesus was teaching. And so notice in this, it says they literally ridiculed Jesus for teaching such foolish doctrine. But they were lovers of money. In fact, if you go back to Matthew chapter 15, they had a practice called korban, where Pharisees would take their physical well-being, riches, whatever, dedicated to the temple so that when their parents had needs in later life, what they would do is say, hey, hey, hey son, could you help us out here? Sorry, Dad, I just dedicated my stuff to the temple. Otherwise, I would. Jesus condemned them strongly for such a Pharisaical type of teaching. They loved money. And it flowed over even to the disciples. Remember the rich young ruler, and when he came and he wanted to follow the Lord, how can I enter the kingdom? And Jesus tried to reason with him, even about a new heart, he didn't really fall in line. And Jesus said, okay, then sell what you have and give to the poor and come follow me. And the rich man said, "I, I, I can't do it, he left. And Jesus said, how hard it is for rich men to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Do you know how the apostles, the disciples responded? They were astounded. And then they said, who then can enter heaven? Do you see how the the physical blessing was so much a part of the way people thought in those days? And it's not much different even in the day in which we live. So as Jesus is being ridiculed for teaching in compassion and love. He says, I want to tell you a story. So he gives this story as, as we go through Luke chapter 16, and you can follow along. Here's the story that Jesus tells. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who feasted sumptuously every day. When you study this in the original Greek text, the verbs are used in the imperfect tense only to say this was a normal practice for this man. This wasn't a one-time event. Even the word every day helps you see that. This was the way he lived. And at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. Who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Could you get a stronger dichotomy than this? Someone who has everything and someone who has nothing at all. It fits exactly what Jesus wants to teach this entire crowd as they listen to him teach. That man was covered with sores. And it says, moreover, even the dogs came and licked his stores. As to tell, the dogs had mercy on him. The rich man did not. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades Being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame but Abraham said child remember that you now watch how he phrases this that you this is an emphatic you a strong pronoun you yourself in your lifetime received your good things do you see the emphasis of Jesus you had everything here you were so focused on self aren't you glad that in our day we don't have people that are focused on themselves But now he is comforted and you are in anguish. And beside all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed. Now the idea, again, during this time when someone died, there were two compartments to Hades. One was for those that were saved, the other for those that were lost. Two places. At least come to this understanding, basically that's what the Bible teaches. There's two places to go. And in that case, later on after the resurrection, many feel Jesus led the saved towards heaven, but the, the unsaved remained here even to this day. That's what's going on. It says, In order that those who had passed from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that one may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Abraham, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's make some observations Notice the simple outline of the story. Three verses for their life, one verse for their death. The rest is on the afterlife. Folk, as we look at this, understand it is so important where you end up. Your life is going to go by like a breeze. I'm still a young man, and it seems like my life has gone so fast. The emphasis is on the afterlife, isn't it? Others, Lazarus, the poor man is named, the rich man is not. If we lived in those days, and let's say we went to the Jewish town where these people lived, and let's say the name of the rich man was Levi Goodman, or whatever, Goldman, that would be better, Levi Goldman, and, 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 and you come up to the city and you, and, uh, and you, you say, hey, do, do you know Levi Goldman? What? Well, yeah, he's the big wig in town. I mean, he owns half the town. I mean, he's just every place. He has five brothers. I, oh, and can he put on the spread? I'm telling you, that guy can knows how to put on a feast. Oh, okay, okay, you know him then. Yeah, yeah. Hey, do you know a guy named Lazarus? Who? Oh, there's probably several Lazarus in town. Which one do you mean? Well, there's a guy that... Uh, is filled with sores and he's a beggar. Do you know him? Oh, I'm sure there's several people like that in town. You probably could find him. Isn't it interesting? When Jesus tells the story, he mentions Lazarus' name, not the rich man. It just teaches us how we respond to people, doesn't it? And and you may be in this auditorium. Nobody knows me. I'm going to tell you something. God does. God is aware. And it's just ironic to me that the rich man is stripped out and Lazarus is the one that is named. It brings great comfort to my heart even to think the rich and the famous may not be significant to God at all. Just keep that in mind as we live our life observations, the heart attitude of the rich man was on display, proud of riches, proud of his position, not desires, sharing his, not sharing his well-being. I, I am convicted at one time just recently, my wife wanted to do something that was very generous, and I said, I don't think we can chuck, chuck, chuck. I'm not always desirous to share as well, so I don't look at this man and say he's so different. We need to be careful with that. But as as you look at it, other observations, death is common to all. I don't care if you're rich or poor, you're going to die. Death is going to visit every single one of us, every one of us. And there is a heaven of comfort to gain and a hell of torment to fear. Never forget that. It used to be preached a lot. I just don't hear it preached very much anymore. So what is hell? I don't have to go through all of the statements, but it's pretty obvious as you look at them. Clearly, it's a place of torment. I mean, Jesus mentions it there. Heaven is a place of comfort, uses the word paraclete, or paraclete, speaking of the comfort. But notice, as, as the rich man also died and was buried, and being in torment, the word is used twice, and then it, it, as he it goes through, being in torment, he sees Lazarus at his side. AND THEN HE TALKS ABOUT AGONY. BOTH OF THOSE WORDS ARE USED IN OTHER PASSAGES WHERE JESUS TEACHES ABOUT HELL, AND HE'S THE ONE THAT TEACHES CLEARLY ABOUT THIS PLACE. AGONY AS WELL, SEVERAL TIMES. THE WORD FIRE USED NUMBERS OF TIMES. I'M JUST GOING TO SAY TO YOU RIGHT NOW, HELL IS A REAL PLACE, AND IT'S NOT A PLACE THAT YOU PARTY WITH YOUR FRIENDS. ISN'T THAT OBVIOUS FROM THIS STORY? These people that were ridiculing Jesus for his teaching, he was lovingly trying to warn them there is a hell, and it's a place of literal torment, praying that they might repent. It's a land of no escape. There's no indication here that this rich man can escape. And I remember the great joy that I had when I knew I had eternal life. My head would spin with joy, with God forever and ever. It's never going to end. And then I think of the other side, and my head would spin with horror. It still does. But it's real and there's no indication that there's escape. As we deal with people, we need to help them understand they need to make their decision for Christ now. This is Jesus' story. He's trying to warn and help people to understand. And it also is a land of no repentance. Did you pick up on the story when you look at, at, at the rich man and his response It's just interesting. The rich man died and was buried and being in torment in Hades, he looked up and he saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called, have mercy on me and send Lazarus. Do you see how he looks at Lazarus? There's no thought. You know, if if I was there, I would hope. I would hope. If I was there, I thought, Lazarus, I have so wronged you. Would you forgive me? I would hope that would be your mentality as well, but that's not here. Lazarus is simply a messenger boy. He still is. He doesn't change his mind at all about Lazarus. He would like some comfort in his flame. Do you see a heart of repentance here? There isn't. There isn't a heart of repentance at all. As we look at the story as Abraham in death, the lost do have the ability to remember their life, their family, and friends, but they do not have the power to change anything. The rich man didn't repent. Maybe some of the most sobering verses, you can read them later in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, where many, many are going to say to God, look at all the works that I've done. We we should be able to enter. And Jesus would say to them, "I I never knew you. They might be crying that for all eternity. Look at the book of Revelation. Let the evildoers still do evil. Their life patterns will not be changed in hell. And the filthy still, filthy still. You know, there's a book written by C.S. Lewis called The Divorce Myth. It's very, it's the, the doctrine isn't perfect by any means, but it's interesting, it's, it's a, it's a, A tour bus that goes from Hades, the hell part, towards heaven. And they have several characters, and and quickly I'll just make the point here. Napoleon was found there. He was still trying to make plans on how he, he couldn't figure out how he lost his last battle. There was a murderer there who was defending his actions, claiming he was a fairly decent man. There was a liberal professor there that defended his views, even though he was in judgment. Still didn't change. There was a woman that drove her husband to change, ending up with a nervous breakdown. The man dies, the woman dies, the woman in hell is looking for her husband so she can continue her argument. No repentance. Look at this verse. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance Do you see that repentance is a gift from God? I wish instead of running from repentance, we would realize there's coming a day when people in hell won't be able to repent at all. I say to you, repent now. Repent and receive salvation. Repent when you live wrong within your marriage, within your family. Have you ever tried to live or help a married couple where neither one wants to repent of anything? It's ugly Repentance is a gift from God. And if God convicts you, fall on your knees and repent. In hell, there'll be no repentance. The rich man's theology didn't change. Remember human reasoning that we mentioned at the beginning? If someone came back from the dead, he said, people would repent. That makes sense. It must be. That would work. Yet even in the scriptures, Lazarus, the other Lazarus that was raised from the dead, after he's raised from the dead, you know what the Pharisees want to do with him? Let's put Jesus to the dead, and that, that guy that rolls from the dead, let's put him to death. Coming back from the dead, did that persuade them? And yet we have book after book after book that comes out. Hey, I visited heaven. Now I'm here to tell you about it. Nobody ever comes back from hell, but there's all sorts of people coming back from heaven and their theology, their human reasoning is supposed to convince us. Use this book. Don't worry about all the stories that come out. That's what this rich man is saying. Why did Jesus never appear to unbelievers? Because those unbelievers would have wanted to put him to death again. Not that they would have been able to do it. Coming back from the dead doesn't change anybody. But Abraham's, notice the end of this story. They have Moses and the prophets. Listen to them. So how do we approach people? We take this book and we show them the word of God, and we show them how they can repent and put their faith in Christ and be saved. This is what changes lives. I've watched it so often, and it amazes me every time I see it, just going through simple Bible studies, and then a person says, I want that, and they repent, and they put their faith in Christ and in his sacrifice alone, and all of a sudden, their life changes Isn't it a joy to watch that? And that's really what Abraham is saying. Use the word of God. Don't trust the human experiences. Put your faith and trust in the word of God. I hate thinking about hell. But Jesus thought it was important so he told a story. And if Jesus thought it was important, then it's worth us going over that. Maybe it would give us more compassion for the loss, for our family, for friends. Maybe it would give us a sense of urgency. The rest of the world can reject this whole idea, but I'm telling you, on the authority of the word of God, this is real and may God use it in our lives. If you're here this morning and you're not sure that you're saved, how I would plead with you to open your heart to Christ if we can be of any help to you. And we have loved ones around us that we want to patiently, graciously, kindly plead with them so that they would never Never have to go to a place like this. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This is not an easy passage, but it's a necessary passage. Father, however you want to use this passage in the life of people that are listening right now, I pray the Spirit of God would work If there's unbelievers here, Father, I pray that they would sense there's an urgency here. We need to take care of this. And I pray you would work. And Father, for us that waste our lives on things that don't count, and people have such desperate needs, would you wake us up and understand there's a heaven to gain And there's a hell to miss. Father, help us as a church to believe your word and to order our lives accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen.